It's the Locked On Aggies Podcast, presented by Locked On Podcast Network, talking all things Texas A&M. Now, here's your host, Cole Thompson. Howdy, everybody, and welcome back into another episode of Locked On Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M, and today we're going to round out our final four and determine who is the greatest Aggie of all time. Von Miller is set to sack the competition while Dat Nguyen will try to tackle his way into our final two. Meanwhile, Mike Evans is going to try and haul in a touchdown worthy enough for the final spot while Charlie Kruger will hopefully make that stop at the defensive line against the wide receiver to place himself in the championship round. Before we begin, make sure you're following us on social media at Locked On Aggies. Locked On Aggies is your number one source for all things Texas A&M related podcasts surrounding the Locked On Podcast Network. And second, if you like the show, if you like what I'm doing, if you think I'm smart, if you think I'm dumb, whatever you want to think, this is really simple. All you got to do is follow me at Mr. Cole Thompson. My name is Cole Thompson. I am a mister. That's my name. Don't wear it out. At Mr. Cole Thompson at Locked On Aggies. We have no time to waste, so why don't we get started with Von Miller. What makes him the greatest Aggie of all time? Well, I think simple is just he was one of the more highly recruits in the 2000s, late 2000 era. What he was able to do for the school as a pass rusher, his versatility, I think, kind of comes into play. You got to remember, he was one of those first hybrid players during his sophomore year, he played a lot of defensive end. During his junior year, he started moving a little bit more to a defensive end, linebacker hybrid. And his senior year, he pretty much played that nine technique that Jadavian Clowney played while in Mike Vrabel's defense for Houston. This was one of those pioneers who was able to kind of find success both as a wide nine and as a stand-up player. When you have production like that, your rare physicality that allows you to be probably at the top of your game. And everything that you do makes you a stronger player. For me personally, I look at what Miller's done in his final year of college. Really, and, and also he's a four-year grad. He's not one of the players who left early. I think that kind of says a lot. He wanted to come back and represent AM all the way until he couldn't anymore. And because of that... I think that's what has him set as one of the greatest maroon and white players ever. On the flip side, Dat Nguyen. When you look at Nguyen, this is exactly what we're talking about when it comes to 12th man mentality. Here, let me explain. Dat Nguyen came in at 5'10", I think only 182 pounds. That's not a starting caliber middle linebacker as a freshman. At that point, it was, okay, I'm going to show you why I am deserving of this starting spot. And you know that. He literally was one of the best players in his time in the Southwest Conference as a whole. Not even as just a you know former player. He's also got some history to him. He's the first Vietnamese-American player to ever be drafted and be recognized as an all-pro in the NFL. But again, let's just look back. He was a four-year starter. He never was supposed to have the chance that he did. And thanks to a chance early on, I think it was like game two, there was an injury. He had to go in as the backup. He became 
the reason A&M was so dominant in the Southwest Conference during the early 90s. I mean, and again, the one thing that stands out for him in his favor over a guy like Miller is, although he may not have the NFL stats, he has one of the most important stats when it comes to college football history, and that's the tackle stat. He left A&M in 1998. That was over 20 years ago. There has not been a player who has come close to matching his total tackle count. And there's not a player who's come close to matching his total career start count. Part of that is due to a lot of players deciding to leave early in their careers instead of sitting back and trying to be a part of the program. If their stock is high now, they're told, go to the NFL draft. It wasn't always that way back when New England was playing, and it almost wasn't even that way when Miller was playing, if we're being honest. Yeah, I mean, you saw players leave early, but when New Wing played, it was you're there for four, you stay for four, you play for four. And I don't see that record getting broken. I think that you could see Von Miller at 30 years old begin his decline right now, or this is his peak. This is where he will level out for about another two years before he starts going down. 10 sacks a year at most, probably about seven to eight is more realistic. He becomes the secondary guy to, I would say, Bradley Chubb out in the Mile High City. All that combined, I think, leads to me saying, I look at Dat Newing's history and what he's meant to the program and the fact that he is in the College Football Hall of Fame and in the A&M Hall of Fame and in the Texas Sports Hall of Fame. And he also was an All-Pro. He was an All-Rookie. He was an All-American. He was the Lombardi Award winner. Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, Two-time All-Big 12 team. Made it three times, but two-time first team. He's got to move on. That new wing, to me, has to move on because of his stat is never going to be broken. And that's what leads us into our second conversation right now. Who will he be facing up against? Mike Evans, Mr. Consistency when you're talking about a wide receiver. Since his college days, he has not finished a year under 1,000 yards. The touchdown ratio has gone up and down. It's been fluxed. It's had its moments to where it really could be something special. And he could be the number one receiver in the NFL. But again, you also got to keep in mind, his first year at A&M. Five touchdowns. Next year, throw on another seven. He's been, you know, featured in and out with these offenses to where they'll score a lot. But he may be just the factor that gets them in the red zone. And sometimes that's all you got to be. If we're being honest, that's sometimes all you have to be is just be the guy who gets yourself in scoring position. Evans has been that. And that's why he's been consistent. But on the other side of the conversation, Ray Childress has also been just that same type of guy. He was literally the only player that people would get off that bus in the 80s and go, nope, don't want to face him. And he did it again when he got to the NFL level. And we're going to be discussing Ray Childress and why he should move on as our lowest seed Everyone else was a number one or number two seed. Childress was a six seed. We'll be discussing why maybe he deserves to move on in just a quick moment. 
Locked On Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M. Guys, the Locked On NFL Mock Draft Special is officially underway. Be sure to check out our Mock Draft every day this week on Locked On NFL. Right now, we have picks 1 through 6 done. You can go ahead and subscribe on Apple's podcast or follow the Locked On NFL show on Spotify and start listening to where every team will be picking today. We're coming back and we're talking about Ray Childress, why he should move on over Mike Evans, Mr. Consistency, and I got one reason. Who has else 100 tackles at defensive tackle? Name another player in the history of A&M who, although it was for two years, at defensive tackle in a 4-3 system, this isn't a guy who is going to you know, play that linebacker role and is finding ways to blitz. No, no, he's bulldozing back offensive linemen and making them just suffer for what's been going on. To me, then you look at what he did at the NFL level after being the third overall pick for the Houston Oilers. He had a long career, 11 years defensive tackle. He had the same type of production. Did he ever surpass 100 tackles? No. But again, you're not supposed to at defensive tackle. You're supposed to be in that 40 to 45 range, maybe have four or five sacks on the year and add a lot of pressures. Your job is to stop the run. Your job is to also help open up lanes for your second line of defense to get through. I think when you look at all of that and what Childress was able to do, plus being an All-American, plus representing A&M at the next level. Stellar career with both Houston and his final year with Dallas. I like Mike Evans. I had trouble already putting him in over John David Crow. I can't have trouble putting him in over Ray Childress. Childress moves on into our championship round, which brings us to our main event. What we've been building up for for the past two weeks, what we've been using our time to make sure that you are listening to, what we've been trying to get you to get involved in. Guys, it is the championship round. Who is the greatest Aggie of all time? Is it Dat Wing or is it Ray Childress? Now, a lot of people are going to be probably saying, no, it's Johnny Manziel. No, it's Johnny Manziel. No, no. I'm going off of just what I've seen and what they've accomplished at both the professional and the collegiate level. Again, you're looking at a guy in Datnuane who is the epitome of what I think the 12th man is. It's about camaraderie. It's about not always being the biggest guy in the scrum, but being the biggest heart in it that keeps you going, that makes you want to work twice as hard, that makes you want to drive forward and be that X factor. There's a couple of guys that when I was playing high school football, they weren't that great. I was decent. I was never going to probably go play in college, but I unless I went to a D3 school, but I knew I was decent. But all it took was one of those guys making one play, and they, they continued to shine. There was a guy who played our middle linebacker position. I'm five foot seven. He was probably five foot eight. He led our team in tackles. And he did that because of he literally found ways to win. Dat Newing did that. 
Gatnewing is the reason why A&M was successful in the 90s. Ray Childress, on the other hand, it's a very similar story. I mean, you look at what he did. 117 tackles one year. Next year, 124. Back-to-back years, he had over double-digit sacks. 10 sacks in his senior year, 15 sacks in his junior, in his junior year. Two-team, two-time All-American, Daton Wayne. What was he? Two-time All-American? Nope. He was, yeah. One-time All-American. Two-time Big 12. I just look at what New Wing has been able to do. And then you gotta go back to what Childress has been able to do. Both had exactly the type of careers that you wanted for them. The only thing that has, I think, Childress standing ahead right now is one was a first-round pick and one was a third-round pick. But again... You look at what he was able to do for uh, Dallas in New Wing, and he was consistent. Don't get me wrong. He suffered a couple of injuries, and he never really was able to become an elite player. But when on the field, he was consistent. He did a very good job taking over as that leader of the defense, and he actually ended up really helping coach in Sean Lee to become that next big name leader. We're all going to have different opinions. We're all going to be sitting here wondering, okay, is he right? Is he wrong? To me personally, there is no right answer. But based off everything that I've said, it's a record that has not been broken in 20 plus years. To me on my scale, that skyrockets you all the way to the top of my list as something to look at. The fact that that is almost an impossible record to beat. The guy averaged over 100 tackles per season. It was more like over 120 tackles per season. Because if he had over 516 tackles, yeah. You're looking at at least 125, if not more, tackles per season. That was starting point. Childress, two really good years. He kind of had a similar career to Nguyen. He had really good years. He had a few down years in the end. His body, 10 years on a DT, that'll do it to you. So because of the fact that that record still stands, and I don't think it's ever going to be broken, when you hold a record that can't be broken, and again, I do believe it can't be broken, Nguyen to me is the greatest Aggie who's ever played. He won as the embodiment of A&M. He proved what the 12th man means. He has represented the school beautifully, both as an on-the-field player and a coach at both Dallas and with the Aggies. And he consistently is a name brought up in conversation because of their wondering, is anyone going to beat Dotton Wing's record? No. Honestly, I don't see it ever happening. I, I, I can't unless you have a freshman coming in this year or next year or whatever year it is, and immediately making an impact. So there you go, people. Your winner, the greatest Aggie of all time. Linebacker, Datnuing. 
That's going to do it for this edition of Locked on Aggies. Make sure you're following us on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson and at Locked on Aggies. Don't worry, we're not done just yet. We are actually going to preview the first show of the Locked on NFL mock draft show. You can listen to that in our third segment. We are not going to leave you empty-handed. Go ahead and subscribe to the Locked On Podcast Network. And more importantly, go subscribe to the show. You're going to want to listen to it. But for now, that's the end of this edition of Locked On Aggies. We will see you tomorrow. And remember, give me all. This has been Locked On Aggies. Presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. They've been playing the game their entire life. From the playground... Promise to exercise and eat right. Don't forget 60 minutes to play a day, right? I'm playing the NFL. Yes, sir. I'm going to be drafting number one. Maybe. To their high school. Let's hear it, gentlemen. Clear eyes, full hearts. Let's go play some football. Let's go. To the university. We have 95 players here, so accomplished as athletes in high school. We gave them full scholarships to the best football program in the country. Now, their lives are about to change forever become your mom's favorite player whoa this is locked on nfl and this is the locked on podcast network mock draft welcome to the 2020 locked on nfl mock draft special brian peacock here alongside former nfl scout matt williamson we will take you through the first round plus in a network-wide mock draft, all 32 teams represented, even those without first-round picks. Hosts making picks for the teams they cover, our friends from the college side of the network with profiles on each one of these prospects that get selected in the Locked On NFL Mock Draft Special, why they are considered worthy of first-round selections, and analysis from my co-host, Matt Williamson, as well as draft dudes Kyle Krabs, and Joe Marino, and the Locked On NFL Draft crew, Trevor Sikama and Ben Solak. If you're listening to this kickoff episode on a team-specific podcast, you can follow along all week, every pick, throughout round one on the Locked On NFL channel. Teams are talking trades, so you may not know exactly where your team ends up selecting. We'll conclude this draft next Friday, checking in with those teams in round two who didn't select in the opening stanza, some of which might jump into round one before it's all finished and recapping everything that went down all week long. Matt, I'm pumped. Are you ready to do this thing? I'm very ready to do this thing. This is a very cool event. I think people will enjoy it. We've had so many new subscribers since last year that didn't get to enjoy it. So you're in for a treat. You're in for a wild ride and a really well put together whole situation here starting right now. Absolutely. Yeah. And it was one of the most popular. It was the most popular show on the NFL side of the network last year. And I expect it to be even bigger and better. And the way things are right now in the world and wherever you are listening to this podcast, I hope you are well. And I hope this is something fun for you to listen to all week long. Matt, as the Cincinnati Bengals go on the clock with the opening selection in the Locked On NFL mock draft, you've been through this. What are teams doing in preparation the final days and minutes leading up to the first pick for those specific teams? Well, this year, who the heck knows? I mean, <laughs> I'm sure that there's things like, you know, the, the electronics or the IT people are coming to everyone's homes to make sure everything works, checking, double-checking, doing all that kind of stuff. We mentioned before, you know, maybe you can run mock drafts in terms of 
let's try to just do a, a whole walkthrough, basically, of how this thing's going to work. If we're going to make a trade, who's in charge of calling this team, et cetera, et cetera. But honestly, in, olden, in the olden days and the not 2020 draft, most of the hay is in the barn, really, a day or two before the draft. I mean, you might be calling agents of your favorite people to make sure that prospects didn't fall down the stairs or that knee that you're worried about isn't <laughs> flaring up. But for the most part, things should be done a couple days before the draft. Let's check in with some of our analysts here on the network. We have a pair of NFL draft shows, draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino. It's Joe Marino and Kyle Krabs of the Draft Dudes podcast. And let me just tell you, as a couple of draft dudes, we are really excited for this Locked On Podcast Network draft simulation where each host is going to make the picks for their team. And uh, I know it's not the real thing, but it's pretty damn close. And this draft promises to be very exciting with all the dynamics between the teams with multiple first round picks and all the quarterbacks. So, Kyle, uh, I'm sure you're just as excited as I am. Yeah, the big mystery here is, from the quarterback perspective, how many can we get to go early? And then the other fascinating subplot is, when does the offensive tackle run start, and how fast does it go? Because there's generally considered to be four top offensive tackles. There's generally considered to be three top quarterbacks. Maybe a fourth with Jordan Love if he sneaks in there remains to be seen. And the order of all seven of those players who are feasibly top 12 talents coming off the board is going to be a really interesting scenario to see how it actually plays out here. I think just as interesting as the offensive tackle discussion is the wide receiver. Everybody knows this is a really deep and talented crop of receivers, but there's really exciting guys at the top of the board. You know, could we see six, seven, eight guys go off the board in the first round? When does that run start? And uh, who are those late first round guys that uh, teams that, you know, like the Packers or or like the Saints and Eagles and, and Vikings? Who do they get if they are a, a left kind of picking the later half of those top tier pro prospects? So uh, offensive tackles, quarterbacks, wide receivers, the NFL is a passing league. And you can tell that this um, this draft is going to really help these offenses be more dynamic. Yeah, it's a deep class, and we're going to have a lot of opportunities to see players that in a typical class are probably off the board by 20. They might be lingering here in the late first round, early second round. So lots to look forward to, lots to get into. Looking forward to see how these teams start their drafts. Hey, everybody. Trevor Sykema and Benjamin Solak from the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast here with you. Excited to go on this journey of the Locked On NFL Mock Draft Special. Ben, this is going to be a lot of fun. There's so many things that could happen in this mock draft. What are you looking forward to most? Yeah, it's always nice when you're able to get 32 guys, each of whom knows their team as well as the host on the Locked On Podcast Network do, and they can control for their pick. And then you have the freedom for things like trade negotiations as the pick comes off the board. You have the ability for surprises as each individual analyst focuses on their guys. I think, number one, we're not. it's not going to be a typical mock. It's not going to be like what we no, see definitely when not. only one person controls all 32 teams. There's going to be a lot more aggressive moves, so I expect to see big trade-ups. I expect to see surprising picks, yep. and that's that's the reality with these. When you're controlling just that one team, you go and get your guy. That's what we see in the league. I guess that's what we'll be seeing in this mock as well. I'm really interested to see how the offensive tackles go here in the first round because – 
it's just the possibilities are endless. We saw that in our guest mock draft series that we're doing on our podcast. But, I mean, what other positions are, are big ones? Quarterback, wide receiver, probably, right? Well, I think, yeah, I think that when you're making these sorts of picks and it's it's catered to your audience for your podcast, you're tempted sometimes to go for those sexier positions. And the sexy position in this draft is undoubtedly wide receiver. So to me, I'm really interested to see. We know the big three will come off the board and Jerry Judy, CeeDee Lamb, and Henry Ruggs. Who's wide receiver four? Who's wide receiver five? And just how many can we fit in this first round? Ooh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Ben and I are going to be back with you recapping a lot of these picks throughout the mock draft. I'm very excited, so let's get it started. Okay, Matt, we're here. The Cincinnati Bengals are on the clock. Is there any doubt what the Bengals should do here? They earned the right through their poor play in the 2019 season to be drafting number one overall on everybody's list. It seems to be the same name, the same prospect that should go first overall. If their phone is ringing, should they even be answering it, or do they know who the pick will be with the first overall selection in this draft? I mean, you answer it, and if someone offers you a godfather-like offer, you consider it, and you still might not even say yes. I mean, I think Burrow is the super prospect. He would go first in almost every draft, you know, nine out of ten years. That's a gift, and the Bengals need it. He's an Ohio guy. They need to sell tickets. They need to sell jerseys. The offense that he falls into isn't in that bad a shape as first overall selections go. So I think it's kind of too good to be true. All right. With that, this draft is underway. Let's go to the hosts of Locked on Bengals and get the pick for Cincinnati, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. With the first overall pick in the 2020 NFL Draft, the Cincinnati Bengals easily and without second thought select Joe Burrow. In fact, Joe, we received no calls in the war room for the number one pick. I guess everyone just knows not to ask. And I don't think we would have considered any offers anyway. So we make this pick. This pick has really been made since maybe late December when the Bengals lost to the Miami Dolphins in week 16 of the regular season and clinched their first overall pick. Joe Burrow went on a tear in the playoffs after that. And the Bengals will finally get a franchise quarterback. First time they've drafted number one since 2003 when they drafted Carson Palmer out of USC. They're in that position again. The roster has been turned over on the defensive side through free agency. And I think they're looking at this squarely of saying our Super Bowl window opens again if we draft Joe Burrow number one in 2020. That's right. The Bengals don't just spend money to spend money. This is a strategic injection of funds into the defense to make themselves competitive while they have Joe Burrow on his rookie deal for five years. He's, of course, expected to come in and be a day one starter in Cincinnati. Andy Dalton is still on the roster, but will not be on the roster by the time training camp comes around. He might not even be on the roster by the time the draft is finished. We are looking openly to trade Andy Dalton for whatever assets we can recover. And if that doesn't work out, he'll be cut before Joe Burrow shows up for rookie camp or for the first offseason activity that we're allowed to hold with these rookies this summer. Joe, how much better does Joe Burrow make this team? Well, the quarterback is the most important position. And I think we're looking at a guy coming off a historic college football season that many have said is the best passing performance throughout a whole season in the history of college football. What does he do better than Andy Dalton? Andy Dalton has been the Mendoza line for starting quarterbacks in the league for a long time. And I feel like all of the skills you look for typically 
when you look at college quarterbacks. Usually they are the big guys with the strong arms going near the top. And you say, can they function in the pocket? Do they have accuracy? How's their IQ? How's their processing? Uh, how do they do off script? All the questions you normally go into tape asking with Joe Burrow, those are all the answers you have with him based on tape and based on what he showed this past year. All of those things are not in question. He has them in spades. It's the arm strength, right? That's the only area you really question. And I would say it's very similar to Andy Dalton. So it should be an upgrade in almost every area of quarterbacking other than that. And that's okay because when you look at the best quarterbacks in the league over the last 20 25 years, whether it's Tom Brady or Peyton Manning or Drew Brees, they all had those other features in their game without having a cannon for an arm. Simply put, Joe Burrow is the most influential recruit in LSU football history. In leading the Tigers to the 2019 National Championship, Burrow was fantastic, shattering school records and setting national marks that may not be touched. 5,671 yards and 60 touchdown passes for Burrow while completing 76% of his passes. His arm strength won't wow you, but Joe Burrow makes up for it everywhere else. His decision-making is elite, just six interceptions on the 2019 season. He's the son of a coach and a film room junkie. There's a story about LSU beating Alabama, getting back to Tus- from Tuscaloosa to Baton Rouge, and when Joe Brady, the passing game coordinator, got to LSU football ops that night to go get the cut-ups of the film, Burrow had already beaten him there. Burrow has very underrated athleticism. Not only was he a high school quarterback, he was also a high school basketball player. And his ability to move the chains with his feet is something that many have overlooked throughout this process. Burrow is a fierce competitor whose teammates love him, who rises in the biggest moments. Should Joe Burrow stay healthy, he will have a long, prosperous NFL career as a franchise quarterback. This is Matt Moscona of Locked on LSU, your source for LSU and SEC content every day. All right, Matt, there's the pick. Joe Burrow goes number one overall to the Cincinnati Bengals, and there's a lot to like about Joe Burrow. I think maybe if you're nitpicking, you can find some knocks here and there about arm strength, which in some cases is completely overrated. And uh, I I like what was said by many smart NFL people in the past that the quarterback position isn't so much played with your arm once you get to the NFL level. It's played from the neck up, and I think that's where Joe Burrow really shines. Yeah, absolutely. And he, he is a good athlete. He has a remarkable head and poise and confidence for the game, processing, accuracy, He does not have a power arm, and that worries me a little bit considering the area of the country he's going to when it's sleeting and windy and, you know, in the NFC North and late in the year. We'll see how he deals with that, but that by no means would slow me down from making such a pick. He's a tremendous prospect. More Locked On NFL Draft special coming up. The Washington Redskins are now on the clock with the second selection 